As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Muddy Knees Media. This Christmas slash Hanukkah slash Winterval slash holiday season, The Athletic wants you to bog off. Because when you buy one annual subscription, you'll get another one for free. And similarly, when you gift a year's subscription, you can get one for yourself at no extra cost. So wave goodbye to 2020 and say hello to 2021 by sharing the gift of The Athletic's unrivaled football coverage with analysis and in-depth features from the very best writers around, exclusive Q&As with Athletic staff and ad-free versions of all of The Athletic's podcasts, including this one. Find out more and sign up today at theathletic.com slash totally. Totally Football Show today. Firmino the answer for Liverpool in clash with Spurs and for Jose too when asked if the best team won. Elsewhere, vague nominative determinism as Arsenal see Aubameyang come back and paging Kevin Nolan as West Brom crack and sack and bring Big Sam back. We look at why only getting a point at Man City is now a sackable offence and the rest of the big midweek questions. Plus, there's a weekend preview, Copa Libertadores, weasels and more in this Totally Football show in association with Paddy Power. Hey, listener, thank you ever so much for joining us. It's December the 17th, 2020. And uh, here on board your Totally Football show, we've got Duncan Alexander. Hi, Duncan. Hello, James. Lindsay Hooper. Hello, Lindsay. Hello. Merry Christmas. Oh, nice. And happy holidays to Jack Lang. Thank you to you too, James. All right. Holidays that are stuffed, stuffed with football. We're just coming back off uh, two big midweek rounds. Duncan, I noticed you were posting that Tuesdays and Wednesdays are traditionally the days of the week that have produced the fewest goals per game in Premier League history. How do we fare this time around? Um, this was a slightly above average week in terms of goals. Obviously, the Leeds-Newcastle game helped considerably. But yeah, it was part of a, a piece I wrote sort of, yeah, the, those days do have relatively few goals compared to others, but I think they stick in the mind quite well as well. You know, that everyone loves a bit of midweek Premier League action and they often seem to kind of, you know, really kind of up the narrative for the season. And I think this week certainly passes that test. Oh, yeah. What narrative got upped for you? Well, just the whole, you know, Mourinho is back, Tottenham are title contenders, which I think is still very much the case, even though they lost. But, you know, Mourinho's been putting on a kind of fun Instagram Mourinho uh, stance this season and that the mask slipped a little bit at the end and, you know, true Mourinho poked out. But that's that's no bad thing, I think. Mm. How was your narratives, Lindsay? Um, from this week, I mean, I'm I'm obviously jubilant because Wolves beat Chelsea mm-hmm. um, very late on and after suffering a late defeat to Aston Villa, it was nice to experience it the other way around. Um, and then I was at the Arsenal match um, against Southampton, which had lots of different narratives, James, which I'm sure we're going to go over in more detail, but loads of narratives to come out of that game. Um, and and generally, I think it's been quite entertaining. No one could ignore the Leeds result. Uh, counter-attacking football working a charm. We we certainly won't, uh, Lindsay. Jack, what about for you? How has your perspective on the Premier League changed? Uh, well, I think I'm I'm more likely to drink a pint of wine tonight. Right is is <laughs> how I would summarise a little corner of the narrative. Nice. Yes, Allardyce. He's back. 
which is quite comforting, really. It's so much, therefore, for us to be discussing in this show. A quick check on the scores if you missed them. Tuesday, Wolves came from behind late to beat Chelsea 2-1, while West Brom held Man City to a 1-1 draw, but still showed their manager the door. Wednesday, Arsenal rescued a point in 10 men against Saints. Everton won 2-0 at Leicester. Leeds romped to a 5-2 victory over Newcastle. The late games saw a goalless draw for Fulham and Brighton, a 1-1 draw for West Ham and Palace, and at Anfield, a late Bobby Firmino header that saw Liverpool beat Spurs 2-1 to go top of the table. That's Spurs' first defeat since the opening day of the season. Two games for us on Thursday. Sheffield United host Man United and Villa play Burnley in a game of maximum clarity, I guess you could say. Uh, Right, we're going to begin, though, with the action at Anfield. You're listening to The Totally Football Show, sponsored by Paddy Power and part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Not too worried about these corners. I mean, it might come back to bite me here, but I think Tottenham have got the dominant dominancy in the air there, you know, so... Not sure anyone can get the head on the first ball for Liverpool, apart from that one. Oh, oh Sim! Oh, it's Firmino goodness. in the 90th minute! Wow. Yes, Roberto Firmino's 90th minute header, catching out Spurs and Tim Sherwood and sending Liverpool top. Hmm. Interesting post-game scenes with that little exchange between Klopp and, and Jose Mourinho. Jose saying it very nearly went the other way, based on the number of chances that Spurs had. Is that fair, do you think? Could that easily have been a Spurs victory? Yeah, it could have been. I think it's one of those games where the scoreline um, kind of sets the narrative around the game. You know, if Spurs won that game, everyone said, well, they were very defensive and hit on the break, but it was another Mourinho masterclass. It was a draw. Everyone says, well, you know, Liverpool's approach and Spurs' approach were very different, but both teams probably will be happy with the draw. But as it is, Liverpool won the game, and suddenly it's like, oh, Mourinho has wasted, you know, a big opportunity to beat a, a defence that's a bit weakened. You know, Spurs had four um, big chances. You know, uh, Opt have got a definition of big chance where you're expected to score sort of 50, you know, 50% or more of the time. Um, Spurs had four of those. Liverpool didn't have any, but Liverpool obviously dominated the game. So I don't think you can really make a judgment about either team or either manager from that, you know, match. It's just Liverpool snuck it at the end. Yeah, I think... Mourinho's little needle at Klopp afterwards saying the best team lost, I think potentially designed to to maybe uh, shape things in his favour. I, I thought it was quite evenly balanced. I, I would have said a draw would have been a fairly fair result on that. Obviously two different styles of play, but I thought Tottenham set up very intelligently. It seemed to me like they were maybe kind of just waiting to see if Liverpool tired. Like The first half seemed to me a kind of a, a don't lose this performance obviously with the bonus of the goal which um you know it they, they pushed the pressure point in in the Liverpool side when Trent Alexander-Arnold was very high up the pitch um Curtis Jones wasn't able on that occasion to cover him and at that stage I think Mourinho would have been delighted with the one all at half time but then he's not wrong to say that they did have the better chances in the second half the second Bergwijn one in particular I thought the the first one wasn't as good a chance as some people were saying. It was quite tricky. The second one, obviously, very clear. But Kane's header, I think, was probably the clearest of the lot. And I, I don't think Liverpool would have had too many complaints about being behind. And I think one all would have probably suited both managers. It's just, like Duncan said, Liverpool got that final blow in. I mean, on that Kane chance, he's he's made more defensive clearances than any other forward in the Premier League this season. So maybe he's actually gone so, you know, he's a false five now. So he's now <laughs> just clearing from inside his own six-yard Although he couldn't clear it when that ball came in for Bobby Firmino, could he? No, that is true. Um, you know, it's almost a bit like Mourinho was hoisted on his own petard a little bit. You know, Spurs had less XG in their games against City, Arsenal, Chelsea and Palace. Um, but got a draw or a win in all of those games. And then this time, as Jack said, you know, had really good chances and, and it didn't work out. So it feels, I mean, it, the sentence, it feels a little bit churlish from Mourinho, but, you know, a slight unpredictable. <laughs> but, you know, he, he must know that this is the way football goes. You know, sometimes you play well and, and don't get what you deserve and other times it's the opposite. 
the goal coming as late as it did, you could tell that was a blow, but it felt like that deflective technique as well in his post-match interview, talking about the fact that he gets treated differently to Klopp, you know, Klopp trying to intervene when the the minutes board's going up and and he's sort of indicating that if I tried to do that, I wouldn't get away with it. There's part of me that doesn't disagree in some ways. I I think perhaps Klopp does get a little bit of leniency for some reason compared to others, but I wouldn't say across the board of managers. I think we should definitely spend a moment to talk about Curtis Jones, who for me was the best player on the pitch. I thought he was magnificent. Obviously, we've seen him score some some really nice goals. He's very obviously very confident, very technically proficient. But just the level of control he showed on the ball, like shifting the ball between his feet. He's got that lovely kind of almost Iniesta-ish ability to kind of move the ball from left foot to right foot, just to wriggle free. Uh, just the way he kind of manipulates the space, I thought is fantastic for a 19 year old. You know, a lot of uh, young players, even ones with fantastic technique, kind of show it in flashes, but make poor decisions. I thought almost every decision he made was the right one. He he knows when to kind of slow the play, when to speed it up. And that little triumvirate on the left side, I thought he combined with, with Robertson Mane really well. And, you know, I think that's a, a sign for Liverpool's future, really. I think that, you know, before, maybe he was seen as probably outside of the club as a talent, but now it looks already like he's he's perhaps the future of that midfield. Mm, yeah, it's been a run of really good performances from him. Liverpool, meanwhile, have been putting together quite a run at Anfield. That's now 66 games unbeaten in the league there. Although their next game there is uh, home to West Brom and uh, managed, I believe, by Sam Allardyce, who was the last visiting manager to win a Premier League game at Anfield. That's so true. Spurs haven't won a Premier League game at Anfield since May 2011 under Harry Redknapp. Those those old school managers, they knew how to get the job done. Anyway, uh, Liverpool getting the job done with eight first teamers out now, which might mean they'll be really rested for the kind of second half of the season. But following this, this, this late, late victory at the weekend, they'll be taking their three-point lead to Crystal Palace. Uh, that game coming up Saturday, 12.30. That's that's a fixture that's seen their title hopes come a cropper uh, famously in the past. But that was before Jurgen Klopp arrived. And note that under the German, they've won all five of their visits to Sirhurst Park. Palace had a 1-1 draw with West Ham. Jack, did you watch this? I, only the highlights, but obviously right. the, the, the Haller overhead kick, which Woof. is... Mm one of the cleanest connections. I mean, an overhead kick is spectacular, even if you shin it a la, a la Wayne Rooney. But not for you, Duncan. No. It's my he tried this before as well, didn't he? He tried, he tried that overhead kick. I think it was the last game, if not it was the game before. But yeah, he tried doing the overhead kick and it didn't quite come off, but it came off spectacularly this time. Yeah. Like Brilliant connection with the ball. Also coming off, Christian Benteke, who will be suspended after getting a red card in this game for flying elbows, uh, which is a shame for many reasons, but not least the fact that he's on this rich vein of goal-scoring form. Three goals now in three games after getting uh, Palace's uh, goal in this one. Just on Allaire, that that is probably the best goal I've ever seen that still hasn't provoked a smile from its goal scorer. Like Allaire's <laughs> refusal to show any kind of joy is probably my favourite thing about him. Uh, yeah, just complete what, What's behind land. that, Jack? I think he probably knows that his form has wavered and it's that kind of slightly performative seriousness that strikers go through when they feel they, you know, I wouldn't be happy till I've scored 45 goals this season. And that's not going to happen. So he may as well just enjoy those moments when they come. Unlike Benteke, he was very happy just to be scoring again. I mean, Benteke, to be fair, scored a goal, not quite an overhead kick, but a scissor kick, didn't he, for Liverpool at Old Trafford, consolation. So it is Mm. a shame. I mean, that red card was was harsh I thought I didn't think it was a really and and I think we should turn it around a little bit with Benteke and just calm it down slightly because two goals came in the one game in in a game as well where they were facing a West Brom side that had been reduced to 10 men yes and I think I think those two goals great for his confidence and yes he scored in the game since but there's still a lot to do and this dismissal is not going to not going to fare well, I don't think, for Benteke. He needs to be playing right now and he's now going to miss a couple of matches. He does remain the only player in Premier League history to score on Halloween, November the 5th, Boxing Day, New Year's Day and his own birthday. So he's still got that. So Why why doesn't 
Duncan like overhead kicks? I'm so glad you asked that, Jack. Just grim numbers man refuses any uh, form of joy. Uh, no, 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 no. There's two reasons. One, it's always used, as, as James and I discovered in the in lockdown one, it's always used as a device in every football film. You know, the, <laughs> the winning goal, the key goal is an overhead kick. And, and two, it's also the sort of goal anyone could score. Like, if, if I lofted a ball towards you, Jack, in the park, you could probably pull off an overhead kick, whereas there's lots of sorts of goals professional score that I don't think Jack Lang could, could score in the park. That's absolute nonsense, isn't I'm it? I'm pretty Let's be sure I'd pull something, but not the goal off. <laughs> <laughs> right, meet me in the park, Jack, and, we'll, and I'll prove it. This is funny because I do actually bump into Duncan about once a month in our local park, so that's not actually unfeasible. <laughs> okay, well... That sounds a rich vein of conversation as well. However, if that's your least favourite, what's your favourite, Duncan? Um, probably a... Penalty, yeah, boring, a boring. No, 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 <laughs> direct from a corner, an Olympic goal. Mm, oh, yeah, nice. Lindsay? Yeah. Any, any goal that's scored on, this, on the player's weaker foot, I think. Oh. Are you aware of everyone's weaker foot? That's one of my many blind spots. I'm not aware of all of them, but I'm aware probably of the the key players, certainly the strikers. You know, you know who as well. When you've got Mason Greenwood and he's as good with both, I'm always looking for people like Mares to score on his weaker foot. But right. it's just it's just one of those things, a bit contrary in me. No, I like it. And what about you, Jack? Lobs all day long, particularly ones that bounce. I think the best place for it to bounce is on the goal line. Right. I, I, I'm not so keen on a lob that hits the net first because that just feels it's not lofted enough. I, I want it to properly tempt the goalkeeper to thinking that it might get back, but they don't. If it goes in at the same angle as the net is down, I think that's oh, quite yeah. nice. Yeah. Okay. But never a lobbed penalty, Jack. I'm not averse to that either. Just anything... <laughs> any- Anything with a little bit of float on it. Right. I like half volleys struck about 30 centimetres off the ground mm. that whiz into the net with absolutely no parabola at all, just a straight line. The Lewis Suarez against Norwich one at Anfield, a particularly good example of that. Going back to this midweek um, weekend, Spurs next up will be facing Leicester. Uh, this is at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. Leicester, who just lost to Everton. Jack, you were watching this one. What happened? Yeah, Leicester basically just didn't turn up. They're quite a, f- a funny side at the moment in that they are objectively having quite a good season and yet they keep throwing in these performances, particularly at home, that make people question um, yeah, where the fluency is really. This is, I mean, I think it's their fourth home defeat of the season, having previously seven, lost to yeah. Yeah, West Ham, Aston Villa, Fulham have all gone there and won. And yeah, this was just a really, a really kind of pale imitation of of what Leicester can be. Uh, Cengiz Under got a start and really didn't grasp it. And Everton just played this kind of kind of blocky cupboardy football like they just picked all the big lads, four center backs across the back, obviously missing the, you know, the supply line of the full backs and James is out and they just went for this muscular um solidity, picked Leicester off in kind of the two real chances they had. I thought it, was, it wasn't a spectacular performance from Everton by any means. They just did enough and, and Leicester yeah, just basically gave nothing. It's very strange though with Leicester. I was there on Sunday when they played Brighton and I have to say the first half, that was the best Premier League football that I've watched this season. The way that Justin was getting a lot of joy down that right flank and it felt against Everton that there was no plan B because when that wasn't working and they weren't getting this width and they weren't getting success getting past their fullbacks it it was like what are we going to do now um but they've got so much talent and when Madison's on it you know we saw that against Brighton he can produce the spectacular too but there is a real inconsistency and it and I I actually spoke to Brendan afterwards about you know, hitting a stride. They haven't hit a stride yet, have they? But maybe that's Europa League and juggling all of the travel. But sit deep and you flummox them, which Brighton didn't do. But all those other teams that you, you mentioned, Jack, have. And, and as, you, as you say, there doesn't seem to be a plan B from Brendan. Yeah, I think that's something you can possibly level at Rodgers throughout his managerial career. You know, that, that Liverpool 13-14 season, they had a an excellent plan A that blew teams away. But you know, Mourinho called called his bluff at Anfield in that famous match, and he didn't really know what to do. And I think last night's game is, a, is an example of how 
you know, also how compact the season is. You know, Everton have struggled, a couple of big wins. Um, they're now only two points off second place again. So, um, yeah, massive couple of results for Ancelotti. Well, Mourinho is the opponent again this weekend for Brendan Rodgers. It's second v fourth in North London. What does Mourinho do when Leicester turn up? Will he activate the kind of Chelsea or, or Liverpool game plan of, of looking to pick them off? Or, or will, will we see Spurs come out a bit more? I think being at home they will come out a little bit more and and I think Mourinho will will use pace to try and get at, at Leicester's defence because I think Leicester will be coming forward a lot more as we've seen in, in the performances when they've they've had a lot of joy down those wings I think that they will persist with that I don't know whether someone like Harvey Barnes might start this match the thing with Leicester is Brendan Rodgers has been rotating the squad. He has been given opportunity, especially to the younger players in Europe. And I think if the schedule's coming quite thick, he has he has got some strength in depth now, I think, from giving, giving under... I know he didn't impress Jack in this match, but I think he has in others. And I think he's got some some more options than, than maybe he did before. Whereas with Mourinho, I expect him to stick with the, the trusted squad and the, the main starting 11 that we've seen in the last few games. We did see Deli Ali get a little bit of time um, again. I, I don't think he'll start a match anytime soon. I could be doing a Tim Sherwood here and then he'll start in this match. But I think, I think he'll go with just hoping that Kane and Son can link up again and, and really hurt Leicester that way. It's very much the kind of, um, you know, it's Harry Kane at home which is his favourite mode, against Jamie Vardy away, um, which is his favourite. So that's quite an interesting sort of sort of shootout. But, I mean, as we touched on Rodgers and Mourinho before, and, you know, Rodgers never beaten Mourinho as a manager. It obviously used to be employed by him at, at Chelsea. Um, and Mourinho does seem to have a bit of a, a hold over people who have worked for him before. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I would imagine that Tottenham will get back on track in this game. Sunday, 2.15 for that. Much more to come on this Totally Football Show. Well, the fans who are back in the ground today for the first time are making a lot of noise, despite being spread out all the way from pitch side to the uh, highest tier. Yeah, I'm not sure they should be there, Mark. Uh, why is that, Steve? Well, you're not allowed to watch a game in the highest tier, are you? Uh... Stadiums might not yet be full, but Paddy Power's offers are at full capacity. If one leg of your 4 plus fold Acker lets you down, get a free bet on all football and all markets. The Acker Cracker from Paddy Power. Max free bet £10, min odds 1 to 5 on each leg. Online exclusive exclude shop bets. T's and C's apply. 18 plus begumbleaware.org. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. The Athletic is the only place you can read articles by Daniel Taylor, Amy Lawrence, Phil Hay, James Pierce, Ollie Kay, and the very best football writers around. Tuesday saw Man City held to a one more draw at home by a battling West Brom side. The game ending with uh, Pep grappling Harold Lloyd-like with the board for time added on, unhappy with the amount awarded by the fourth official as his uh, city side searched for a winner. As it turned out, though, time was running out for both managers. For the next day, after this uh, fine result for West Brom, the Baggies fired Slavon Bilic and brought in Big Sam Allardyce. Denim John says, does any other football-related person have a pre-name attributed to them? Apart from Big Sam, I remember for about five years, commentators re- referred to young Joe Cole, possibly little Dennis Wise. Any others? Big Duncan Ferguson. There you go, Big Duncan there Ferguson. Half of all Brazilian players. Juninho, Ronaldinho. Oh, I see, the, the, the little. Mm. Yeah, OK. Excellent. Well, for some rather more salient points on the departure of Bilic and the arrival of Big Sam in the West Midlands. Let's now hear from Joseph Massey of the Express and Star. Joseph, it seems like the last time you'd expect a club to be firing their manager just after he gets a 1-1 draw at City. So why has this happened? Yeah, I mean, it's, um, it's been an absolutely incredible uh, 48 hours, really. Um, and like you said, it, Albion drawing at Manchester City on Tuesday night, 1-1 draw, which was arguably the best result of the season. I mean, hands down, the best defensive performance of the season. And it's incredible, really, the turn of events that's followed from from the moment that full-time whistle blew, really. But um, 
the reason why Slaven Bilic has left the club um, is because a decision was made before that game, um, before the trip to Etihad Stadium, um, following a run of, well, it's it's one win um, in obviously 13 Premier League games this season. It's one win in 17 league games going back to last season. Um but of course, Albion did go up last season. They they did they did struggle post lockdown. But I think everyone did really. There was there was immense pressure on all clubs in the Championship to get out of that division, with obviously the financial implications of the coronavirus. And Albion did okay for long periods. When it got to sort of the crunch time, they they wobbled quite significantly. But then obviously so did Brentford when when the pressure was on them. And it was Albion that got over the line. But they have struggled since they've re- returned to the top flight. And th- it's just simply a case of results. They have been so unfortunate in so many games. It sounds like sour grapes when when it's not the club you support or the club you follow, but they've had five or six VAR decisions, marginal, marginal decisions go against them, decisions that other people in the game, former players, former officials have said went the wrong way against them. And in so many games, they've just been so close. They keep falling on the wrong side of the finest of margins. And Newcastle on, on Saturday was the latest example. It was just a mistake from Branislav Ivanovic, who we all know has enjoyed such a fantastic career and just a player you wouldn't expect to make that kind of mistake. And it, it ultimately led to a 2-1 defeat. And it just felt like things just, they've been so close, but things just wouldn't turn for them. Um, they just It just seemed like they wouldn't turn for them. And... Um, and the decision was made to sack Slaven Bilic. Um, a heartbreaking decision for me, a heartbreaking decision for an awful lot of supporters because he had a wonderful, wonderful connection with the club. He really did. Um, and then the irony is that they go to Manchester City, they draw 1-1, they put in a fantastic performance and they did have a little bit of luck late on. Sam Johnston has made two outstanding saves in stoppage time, point-blank saves from six yards out, um, fantastic saves. And... You, th- you thought at that time, finally, finally, has it happened? Has their luck turned? Is Slavin going to get a break? And then within minutes, basically, I mean, it was incredible. It was literally as Slavin was sat down in his post-match press conference with the written press, um, it emerged that he was about to lose his job. Um, it really was um, a distasteful end. Um, and he really, really did deserve a lot better. Is that how he found out? Or did he know going into this game? He didn't know going into the game and it wasn't confirmed on Tuesday night. It was confirmed yesterday, which is Wednesday morning. Um, but essentially what happened was, um, obviously managers do an awful lot of media after a game. They start with television and then and then broadcast and then they come to us writtens. And he did his broadcast um, and in his television interviews and he sat down for the written press. And as we were sat there on Zoom with him... Um, multiple national media outlets started to um, put out that he was about to lose his job, that it, it didn't matter what was ha- what had happened at the Etihad Stadium, that Slavin Bilic was to be sacked in the morning. And it, it's difficult to... Obviously, I've worked with him now for the best part of 18 months, and he, he really... A lot of people will say it. He, he, he's a fantastic man. Um, managers can be notoriously difficult to deal with, but Slavin Bilic really is an absolute gentleman. And... For him to find out in that way was 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 awful, really, because obviously Manchester is a couple of hours from from where he lives, um, in in the West Midlands, and and he got back on the coach and he got back on the coach. The coaches are split at the moment, so they take two coaches to every game with players and staff on one and players on another, and they were obviously all on their phones and 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 reading these stories that the manager was about to be sacked in the morning, which he was. He he arrived at Albion's training ground on Wednesday morning. Obviously, he knew what was coming then because. Everyone did. Um, and he was taken to one side and thanked for his efforts and told that, um, unfortunately, he was going to lose his job. Mm. Well, you have the delights of many months now with, with Big Sam, uh, Joseph. It all begins with the derby against Aston Villa. How, how does his arrival, do you think, fire up that? And what do you think of West Brom's prospects with Mr. Uh, keep any team in the Premier League uh, at the helm? Well, that's I mean that's the the perfect way of saying it, isn't it, Mister? Keep any team in the Premier League, and I think I actually I came back. At, I mean, we got back from Manchester about three a.m. on Tuesday, and I, and I said at the time, not not having any knowledge of what was about to come, I said the only way Albion can justify this decision is with Sam Allardyce, um, because Bilic is is a wonderful manager and he's done a fantastic job. But like, as as you just said, he is Mister. Keep everyone in the Premier League, and. 
that's that's it's a ruthless business, isn't it? And it's and that's clearly Albion have they've not gone down the path of Norwich, say, who have stuck with Daniel Farker and are now top of the championship. They they want to stay in the top flight and he does do that. He, you can't guarantee it, of course you can't. But if any manager, if any manager comes close to it, it is it is Sam Allardyce. I mean, he did amazing, amazing job keeping Palace and Sunderland and, and multiple other clubs in the Premier League. So there is you you can't deny there is a massive logic to this appointment. Um, it's been such a strange time because the, I mean, even this morning Slavin has put out a statement um, saying how sort of disappointed he is to leave, and there has been an outpouring of emotion towards him. Albion fans do love him, um, and Sam Allardyce is crazy. His career has gone full circle. He actually started as a coach at Albion um, 20, 30 years ago. It's incredible, really, and but. He's got ties to the West Midlands. He was born in Dudley, but he grew up a Wolves fan, um, which some fans in this part of the world are struggling to let go. Um, but look, if I was him, the game I'd want would be Aston Villa um, at the weekend because what an, what what an opportunity to make yourself a hero. If 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 he gets a result or a win in that game, um, I think sadly the way football is, fans will quickly move on from Billich and and then and then will also quickly forget any sort of. Wolves pass that Sam Allardyce may have had. Yet another blow there for Man City, who can't now appoint Big Sam as Pep's assistant, as uh, some uh, had suggested. It is. It's, it's nice to see football's traditions observed, though, eh? It's that time of year mm. for a big jolly fellow and the sack. Uh, Sam Allardyce turning up. It, it, it's his kind of time of year, is that right, Duncan? Yeah, he's been appointed to Premier League clubs, I think, five times in November and December. So it is in a in a year of of uncertainty and change. You know, Big Sam coming back is the kind of normality that we all crave. I think so. Mm. It certainly made me feel a lot more peaceful. I feel for Slaven Bilic with this one. I have to say that I think West Brom have handled this atrociously. Um, they clearly made their mind up before even going to City because. How could they expect him to do anything really more than bring away a point from the Etihad? And I, I think that given he was he was appointed with the instruction to get them back in the in the Premier League within two seasons, he did it in the first season of asking. And I don't think performances have been too shoddy, to be honest. I mean, I, I'm thinking about the Manchester United performance, but they they should have potentially even won that game and. Even when I was there for the Crystal Palace match, they they were in it up until that sending off. And I think Gallagher and Diangana are great players. They've pulled the trigger too quickly, I think, here. And they could pay for it because although although Big Sam is is the king of keeping teams in the league and he might just get West Brom to safety. Mm. Where do they go from then on? It's going to probably be another sacking and bringing in another manager. Whereas I think if they'd have stuck with Slavin Bilic, I think that West Brom would have been safe anyway. Other opinions on this are available, right, Duncan? Yeah, I, I see Lindsay's point, but I'd also say that, you know, West Brom, they've got the worst defence in the Premier League. That is usually Sam's, uh, you know, strength. We'll tighten that up. And they're only two points from safety at the moment. So if he can make them a bit more obdurate and hard to beat, then he may add to... You know, his myth of as the man that's never been relegated brackets, he did take Notts County down, which everyone forgets, closed brackets. So, um, But that wasn't in the Premier League, to be fair. But one thing's for sure, it, it certainly ramps up everyone's interest in Sunday night's clash between West Brom and Aston Villa, which is the, officially the second City derby. Is that right, Lindsay? Yes. Yeah, I think too many people get that wrong. Well, Lindsay, I need, a, I need an explainer here because I always get a bit confused about Birmingham and Birmingham region-based derby. So <laughs> Villa and Birmingham are That's tribals. the big one in Birmingham, yeah. We- yeah. West Brom and and, uh, and Wolves. Black Country derby. Yeah. And then, but w- Wolves and Villa have got a rivalry. But as far as I know, um, Villa and Wolves is not as big. Or, no. Or Birmingham and... It's, I get confused, you see. I think, I think West Brom and Birmingham has become bigger and West Brom and Villa has become bigger because of the vicinity so it's all about geography there and they've been closer in 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 geography but for us for Wolves it's all about West Brom and Black Country Derby that's the big one it hasn't happened for nine years that happens in January uh, for the first time and that'll be interesting now that Big Sam's in charge I wonder if Nuno will be approaching that one differently but um, yeah Birmingham wise the, the big one will always be Birmingham Villa but I think because they've been far apart for 
for quite some time. West Brom have been dragged into that a little bit. Mm. Well, they actually play each other, which is a, a start. Uh, right. Well, anyway, it's going to be fascinating to see how Big Sam kicks off, or possibly not. We'll find out on Sunday evening. As for City, held to this 1-1 draw here, George B. Livingston asks, why can Man City no longer score goals? 26 shots against the most poorest side in the league, only seven on target and only one goal. Well, Sam Lee, who's the Athletics correspondent for Man City, very helpfully posted a tweet in which he pretty much summed up what he sees as the three factors, which are one, no silver, so fewer chances, two, no Fernandinho, so fewer counters, and three, no Aguero, so no finishing. Does that sound fair? Yeah, and I'd, I'd add in on there as well. I, I think there's poor movement in the box. I, I think this is a big problem for Manchester City at the moment. Um, as we saw in the last performance, Kevin De Bruyne can put us a, a delivery on a postage stamp, but the runs were all off in the in the penalty area. And I think it's a mistiming of runs. For some reason, that's not clicking at the moment. Yeah, there was just such a lack of urgency. I, I, I found this game enormously dull because... You know, you can see why West Brom would go there and and play in the way they did. They were very organised. That's fine. I'm, I've got no problems with that. I can understand why that makes life difficult for City because they're they're essentially squeezing the game into you know thirty yards and really having to be intricate. But it, it's just so dull, like just tippy tapping their way around. There's no kind of devilment, especially when Mares isn't in the side. Of, you know, Phil Foden, I thought was probably the most sparky player, but it's just so repetitive and so polite. And it, I thought it was really telling that, um, I mean, f- for one thing, Guardiola took an age to make any substitutions again. Um, but it, it was telling that the substitution that actually changed the the feel of the game in the last 10 minutes was actually Kyle Walker because he was properly sprinting. He was overlapping down the wing in a way that the, the fullbacks hadn't really been doing. And I think if you're, you know, if you're relying on, on a fullback on a kind of in and out of the team fullback for spark in a game like that. I think that probably is as good a diagnosis as any for, for the lack of uh, cutting edge that they showed. Having said that, they still had two amazing chances in the last five minutes and should have won. Still two wins in six now. Pro tip for Guardiola. If he wants to get more injury time, if he makes more substitutions, it's 30 seconds per sub. So he only made two in this game. So he could get an extra 30 there. What what do you make of those scenes at the end where he's grappling with the fourth official trying to, Trying to not turn back the well, actually turn back the clock. Yeah, I think this is what Mourinho was referring to as well, wasn't it? Not just having a, a dig at Klopp, but Pep as well. It reminded me of um, you know the dock at the end of Back to the Future Part One, where he's hanging onto the clock to try and right. connect it. So, That's yeah, a, it a more contemporary like reference. I had Harold Lloyd, but I suspect that it may have whizzed past many of our listenership, which is a shame. Go and look it up because you know a glorious bit of uh, cinema history, uh, but. Uh, anyway, yeah, what, what does it mean about where he is? I mean, let's look at some of the numbers, Duncan. I mentioned two wins in six. You were posting the fact they've got three goals fewer than they did at this point of the 94-95 season under Brian Horton. Yeah, and there were other seasons I could have chosen. There was a Keegan season, uh, 04 5 I think, where they also had more goals at this stage. And it is, I mean, that is the, the main issue, really, is that, you know, We've not seen this at all, not just under Guardiola, but basically the last decade. City have just scored at this ridiculous rate, and that's dried up. And I think it kind. Of, I think Sergio Aguero is one of the most underrated players in in Premier League history. I mean, he's he's so good, and he has been so good for so long. Um, and this is his first really prolonged time out of the team, um, and I think it's really showing. And City have never really, you know, replaced him or or brought back up, and uh, and they really need to. I mean, obviously they've been linked with Erling Haaland, given that his dad play for City and stuff but you know they, they do need a new focal point up front mm. Well next up for Man City it's a trip to Saints this weekend he'll be featuring in our next Bolocco chat as we discuss Arsenal's 1-1 draw with Southampton and Lindsay your trip to Molyneux to see Wolves do Chelsea This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. 
You're listening to the Totally Football Show, sponsored by Paddy Power. Well, he's had to wait a while for his first Everton goal, but you have to say justice maybe was done there. This weekend sees Mikel Arteta back where his Premier League adventure began. Goodison Park, he signed for Everton from Real Sociedad 16 years ago and has been part of English football ever since. Ooh, Wednesday's current incarnation as Arsenal manager saw him survive a bit of a scare, going a goal down and then a man down, two Saints, in both cases thanks to Arsenal's old boy Theo Walcott. Lindsay, you were there on the touchline. Could you breathe the yeah. fear? <laughs> Um, well, yeah, you could from from Mikel Arteta, definitely. I mean, the back turning and the rolling of eyes. And I think there was a close up as well of Edu in the stands just shaking his head. Mm. And you could feel a bit of the pressure from, from that side of things. But on the pitch, no. I mean, th- this is part of the problem. It was very quiet when things were bad. You, you hear a lot of instruction from Arteta, but you don't hear much from between the players themselves. Um, and I think when David Louise came on, that changed. I think that's something that he offers. But otherwise, it's so quiet between them. Does this represent a missed opportunity for Saints? I did ask Ralph Hasenhutl that. I don't think he, he was expecting much more than taking a point away because Southampton hadn't won at the Emirates. And I think he was he was overall happy. I think Arsenal grew into the game. Um, they actually performed pretty well with 10 men. But this discipline record is not great. I also spoke to Arteta about that, the fact that it's a seventh red card since he took over at Arsenal. Um, and he's spoken the, in the pre-match press conference about the players maybe pushing too hard, wanting too much. But surely after Xhaka's dismissal, if you're Gabriel, who I think has been one of the shining lights for Arsenal this season, you, you've got to keep your head in that moment and you've got to know that you're on a yellow card and they came quite quickly together. Um, so I think he'll be fuming about that. Uh, but the biggest takeaway that I took, to be honest, James, is is Aubameyang as captain, which I just do not think is working at Arsenal at the moment. This is the first time that Aubameyang's given an interview after after an Arsenal performance, I think, this season. And as captain, especially the defeats they've had recently, you know, he did show up after this draw, but I think you're expecting him to do that after defeats as captain. And one of the questions I did ask him was, you know, we've not heard from you for a while. You're the captain of this club. What have you made of the form? And he he admitted to me, he's like, I know I've been quiet. And that was part of his answer. I know I've been quiet and I haven't said much. Well, actually, you're captain. And I think that is what you have to do. So is it the wrong appointment? Is Aubameyang the right person to be the leader at this club? And I don't think he is. I think he needs to just focus on what he does best, scoring goals. In the, in And now that he's got this central position back, that could be his focus and let someone else do the the leadership part. Do you think the central position, the fact that he scored, was that symptom of a better performance from him, a better integration with the team? I thought he was very quiet in the first half. I don't think he had the body language either of somebody that was chasing everything down. And I, I noticed that after he scored, that changed. He seemed to lift a level after getting the goal, like there was some sort of relief for getting one. And I think this goal from open play, you know, the 11 hours plus, probably all of that came into in, into it too. Um, he was a bit different after scoring the goal, but I, I don't think his body language has been great recently. Well, we did a big Arsenal chat on Monday. Just to update you, we've had an Arsenal player sent off for the third time in five Premier League uh, matches. They've only scored three goals in nine Premier League matches, which is not great. Points-wise, this is their lowest tally at the stage of a top-flight campaign since the 74-75 season. Although, Opta's Tom Ede points out that Arteta, after 50 games in charge, actually has exactly the same record as Herbert Chapman. And he's got a statue. Stats, eh? Just shows how meaningless they are. <laughs> all, uh, all Arteta needs is a massive overhaul of the offside law and, and everything's going to be fine. So. Brilliant. All right. Well, um uh, Arsenal are away at Everton Saturday tea time. Uh, what's your thoughts there, Jack, having just seen Everton in action? Yeah, I don't expect Everton to make that easy for them. I can see that being a, a fairly low-scoring draw, perhaps. Right. Whereas Saints will host Man City earlier that afternoon. Saints who've moved up to third. City who most certainly have not. What do you think? Duncan, Lindsay? I'm going to give a huge 
big up for Stuart Armstrong because I think he is one of the most underrated players. And again, I thought he was fantastic against Arsenal. I think he's a difference. I think Walcott at the moment having this roaming role, having more freedom, he's getting in all those tricky positions that he used to. He's being fouled a lot. He's drawing a lot of free kicks. And if you're Southampton and you've got James Ward-Prowse who can take free kicks, I think that's always a danger. And I can see Southampton scoring in this match. I'd go as far as to say that I think that this game will be all about set pieces. And I think the goals will come from set pieces. And I think Manchester City will get a penalty. Wow. That's a remarkably specific prediction. (laughs) Let's see. (laughs) Let's see. Let's see how that all pans out. Clearly inspired by Sherwood there, Lindsay. Well done. Yeah. Yeah. Why not? Well, I'm just thinking my, my logic behind it is that Manchester City struggling in front of goal a little, but I think they they have the sort of players that run into the box when Raheem Sterling's doing that, that the balls that De Bruyne puts in. I, I can just see it being a long afternoon for Southampton's defence and, and that they might give one away. But I also think Southampton are just so strong themselves, especially, like I've said, with Walcott now, I, I think that they'll get something too. Probably a free kick. Alternative timeline is uh, Danny Ings scores a hat-trick and then City buy him for £47 million in January. But we'll see. All right. I mean, it might not be an alternative timeline, Duncan. We'll see. Lindsay, you're busy midweek. Saw you doing your roving reporter thing at Molyneux on Tuesday for Wolves and they come from behind win against Chelsea. Did you, you know, professionalism aside, let out a bit of a squeal at Neto's <laughs> goal at the death? I tried not to, but I might have under my breath been like, yes, get in. Um, I I actually was really pleased to see Owen Otisawi get some game time. Um, I know that there's a podcast called The, the Next Big Thing that we also produce. Um, and there was a special on him recently. Okay. He, he looks like a real prospect for, for our midfield going forward. And I think he needed some players either sidelined. We had Matinho that had, had got the suspension. It allowed an opportunity for him to get some minutes. And that's the way that Dendonka came into the team. That's the way that Saiz came into the team originally because minutes became available. So I wonder if we'll see more of him going forward. And um, it was positive to, to see that. And also Wolves starting with a back three again. You know, Nuno went to this back three, um, which seemed to have a lot more success. I still worry about where the goals are coming from without Jimenez in the team, but mm. Neto has head and shoulders been the best player so far this season for Wolves. Pedence is always tricky and those were the two that got the goals. But from, from a Chelsea angle, I, I thought Pulisic was, was incredible. I think that he made a real difference. Kovacic was, was bought out, Pulisic was bought in and if I was Frank Lampard, I'd be going with him. Um, at the moment, I think he's he's the player that, that looks really in the rich vein of form for, for Chelsea. Mm. Frank, hinting darkly about his players becoming complacent after this, their second straight defeat. Chelsea, as we mentioned on Monday, their record against teams from the top half of the table, nothing to get excited about. No wins in six matches now. Team of Werner, equally, has now failed to score in eight games. What, what is happening with Kai Havertz, by the way? He, I mean, he, he looks like he's been haunted. Like, he, he looks, he looks is the genuinely ghost of Christmas troubled. Yeah, he, he doesn't just look like he's playing badly. He looks like he's going through some kind of deep existential malaise. And he doesn't really know where he is. I feel very sorry for him. He's kind of white as a sheet. Looks like he hasn't eaten a, a good meal for about four months. I, I think someone needs to well, who calls him. Um, he, he, he did have COVID. I think, you know, obviously it affects people differently. And I think, you know, Paul Pogba said that it took him a long time to sort of you know, be able to get back to, to normal fitness. So, you know, you do wonder whether in a years to come, people will look back and think, you know, that players were more affected than we thought. So, but yeah, he, it, he, you're right, Jack, he does look a bit haunted. Well, here's to better times for Chelsea. Who are they playing this weekend? Well, uh, West Ham, actually, which is always a tasty encounter. We'll uh, touch on some more of the uh, midweek stories and the fixtures in prospect this weekend after this. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. 
on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Smart Speaker, and now ad-free on The Athletic. This is The Totally Football Show with James Richardson. Wednesday afternoon saw Leeds light things up with a whopping 5-2 win over Newcastle. Leeds, who had been struggling a bit, only four points from their previous six games. They'd only scored five goals across that time. But here, Bamford, then Rodrigo, then Dallas, then Alioski, and then Harrison. Woof. All adding up to their first win in six home matches. Uh, it didn't start well. Newcastle actually took took the lead, uh, which sparked a whole deluge of comments on social media from Leeds fans about how the magic was gone, etc. But after that, the goals were pretty special. Yeah, my favourite was, I mean, obviously Harrison's strike was the probably the the pick from an aesthetic point of view. But Leeds's fourth, I thought, was was the one that caught my eye because they'd just been defending on the edge of their own box. And obviously, by this point, they're already ahead. In normal circumstances, with another manager, you might expect a little bit of kind of game management to come into it. Maybe one player take it to the corner. They break with like five or six players mm-hmm. lining up almost on the edge of the box to finish it off. And I thought that was just so typical of, of what... Bielsa represents it's just it's almost football without any kind of like prudence and I know that sounds like a criticism but I absolutely adore it like I I don't know how I'd uh how my heart would survive if I was a Leeds fan but as a neutral I don't think you can get anything better and and it and it did bring to mind you know the the, the chilly sides that we all loved um a few years ago in which you know they could be three nil up and they'd still be attacking with with nine men. I absolutely, yeah, I think it got so much time for it, and I think it's so refreshing. And this was a good distillation of what they're about. Mm. That was actually a five on two they had for that fourth goal. The second one was pretty good as well, which was Harrison's remarkable takedown and then squaring it for Rodrigo's absolute thumping header. Uh, but anyway, all very very good. What happens then this weekend when Leeds journey to Old Trafford? where Man United have been having one or two problems so far this season? Well, it's difficult to say because with the Manchester United yin and yang generator, we don't know how, at the time of recording, we don't know how they've done at Sheffield United. So um, if they've won handsomely at Sheffield United, then that means Leeds will will embarrass them or, or vice versa. I mean, obviously Bielsa took uh, Athletic to Old Trafford in the UEFA Cup towards the end of Ferguson's uh, time there and absolutely took them to pieces and then did it again in the second leg as well. Possibly the most comprehensive European defeat I've seen United have. So, um, yeah, I mean, that's very much on the cards, I think. And it's just, I think, you know, I've not been one of those people that's really railed about the lack of fans. I think football's managed it fine. But I think it is a real shame that that Manchester United Leeds won't have fans in the stadium because... I've been to one of those games before, and the, that atmosphere is like you know is so good. And with with Bielsa, with with Leeds fans so upbeat and happy, and finally having some some good times after a, after a long period in the doldrums, I think that would have been you know the first fixture they looked for when the fixture list came out. Mm. United have only scored for all your yin and yang, Duncan. One goal from open play at Old Trafford in the Premier League this season. Do you know who, who got that? Van der Beek back against Palace a long time ago. Correct. Uh, slightly further back in time, Leeds haven't won a league game at Old Trafford in almost 40 years. Leeds did win at Old Trafford as a League One club in the FA Cup 11 years ago, so there's that. But I quite fancy their chances of doing it. He said not sticking his neck out very far, given Man United's woeful form so far this season at home. Also midweek, a game we haven't mentioned yet, by the way, considerably fewer goals in this one. Fulham against Brighton. It was nil-nil. That's the key stat here. Uh, Adam Lalana thought he'd scored. That was ruled out. Um, Fulham next up have Newcastle. And this is a new mean tight at the back, Fulham. Previously, we'd celebrated their dedication to conceding 80-plus goals a season, but it seems that's no longer part of the Scott Parker plan. Perhaps that played a part in West Brom as well getting rid of Billich because Fulham have started to turn a corner and they're looking a different prospect in, in the last couple of games. Um, much more attacking threat. I don't know. I, I actually think Fulham, Fulham with Luckman on form, they look pretty, pretty good at the moment. Lindsay, this weekend you're going to be going to Brighton's clash with Sheffield United. As Big Duncan one at the bottom, yeah. Mm. Duncan was mentioning we, we don't know yet what Sheffield United are going to do Thursday night at home to Man United, it's that kind of season that you can't really rule out anything. But Brighton certainly are yet to win at the Amex this season. 
what what's the key fact that you that you're uh, that you're taking with you into that game? Well, whatever Sheffield United do in this next match, they're still going to need to do more against Brighton, and they need to definitely win against the teams that are in and around them. Brighton, I think a lot of a lot of time has been given to Graham Potter because of the style of football. But ultimately, it's not working. So I'm wondering whether he's going to try and change things because it's no good playing pretty and playing well, but still losing. Um, the, there's definitely some weakness down that side. I wasn't that impressed with Dan Byrne, I have to say, um, against Leicester last weekend. He he was got the better of so many times. So maybe there'll be a, a few changes for Brighton. Lamptey does make a difference. Interestingly, diametrically the opposite philosophy to the one that Jack Lang was enthusing about with Leeds. When you say there's no point in playing pretty and losing. I mean, Brighton are not actually in the bottom three. If you were a Brighton fan, would you prefer to be watching this with a little you know, frisson of risk than, say, Chris Hutton's version of the team? I think it's about getting the right balance and... At the moment, I think attention is needed on defence for Brighton. Um, and I think if they if they can address that, then they, they have the freedom to then go forward and use these attacking players. But I think their defence looks pretty vulnerable. Nothing worse than a potter without balance to end up with some, some of the worst crockery you've ever seen. Um, <laughs> Not at Christmas. I mean, Brighton, as we said a few times there, they're really, really unlucky. Their last home win... Um, was that match against Arsenal back in the summer, with it, which sparked the Guendouzi crisis, which is about 400 crises back at Arsenal, which kind of shows how long it's been. But yeah, I think this really is a must-win game for Brighton. You know, Sheffield United at home now has become, you know, the, the game that every team should win. So um, I'd be interested to see how they manage to not win this match, which mm. I'm sure we'll find out. We will. Will it be Potter's at the wheel? That would be the kind of the echo there. Ollie. No, OK, I'll move on. Uh, excellent. Uh, then there's two games on Monday. Of course, we'll touch on those a bit on, on Monday in, the, in our early morning Totally Football show. They are a 5.30 game. Does it include Burnley? Tick. It does. They are against Wolves. And that's followed by Chelsea against West Ham. Super. We're not done, though, with this show. Very shortly, if you're feeling like there's not enough football on, have we got some good news for you with an exciting new set of games from a competition you might not have been previously watching to get excited about. And other things too. First of all, though, how about we hear from Lee Price from Paddy Power. Hello, listener. I wanted to start today's segment of a poem about Arsenal manager Mikel Arteta because, well, I might not be able to call him that for very long. Here goes. Hair. So square. Do you keep your tactics in there? Talk. So fast. Will your next game be your last? One. The FA Cup. Was hiring you a fuck up? That's FA Cup said as one word, to be clear. Not a naughty swear word, promise. But, hmm, lots to ponder there. And lots to ponder for the Gunners too. Arsenal were 21-10 to to win at Everton. The Arteta derby would be a fitting final game for the manager though. And the Toffees are favourites at 6-5. to Sorry, Mikel. Tottenham are favourites to beat Leicester, but not odds on. Manchester United, worryingly, are odds on to beat Leeds. I'm not sure in either of those. Wolves, meanwhile, strike me, an idiot, as the value pick of the round. They're 11-10 to to win at Burnley. And you can all tell me I'm an idiot at full time on Monday night. I look forward to it. Until then, all the best. Thanks, Lee. You can find out these odds and more at paddypower.com. Or the Paddy Power app. Prices are accurate at the time of recording. It's over 18s only. Terms and conditions apply. And when the fun stops, stop. Ooh, a man from the BBC has been in touch to say BBC Sport have signed the UK rights for the Copa Libertadores. Jack, very much in your wheelhouse. They've got seven live games available across their, you know, various things, iPlayer, website and Red Button. But specifically, this Thursday and then next week, you've got Two quarterfinal second legs from the Copa Libertadores. You've got Nacional against River Plate and then Boca Juniors against Racing. This sounds pretty special. Uh, River Plate 2-0 up from their first leg against Nacional. Racing, there's only one goal between them and, and, and Boca after their first leg. Yeah, it should be good. So there are two Brazilian teams lying in wait. Santos um, thrashed Grêmio last night and Palmeiras are also into the semis. Um, I, I would expect... River Plate to to 
get past Nacional with the the advantage they've got. But the other one is yeah, really nicely balanced. Boca um, still with Carlos Tevez knocking about at thirty six, and then and then Racing have been one of the stories of the tournament so far. They knocked out Flamengo, the reigning champions, in the last round really dramatically. They've got an advantage in this one. And yeah, they've kind of been held up as a um, a good example in South American football recently. They've kind of been reformed behind the scenes by Diego Milito, actually, the former mm. former Inter striker. He's actually going to leave soon. There's been a bit of politicking behind the scenes, as is pretty standard practice in South American football. So Milito won't be there for too much longer. But um, yeah, they've they've been one of the standout sides this year, and obviously two Brazil versus Argentina semis would be uh, quite an attractive proposition. This year it goes, it's only being finished in January. So normally the competition would be finishing around this time. Obviously COVID delays all over the place. So the final is not till the end of January. And it's like last year, it's a one-off uh, one-off final at the Maracana. Yeah, that'd so be exciting. Brazilian team would obviously have a slight advantage there, you'd think. Right. Although, you know, we've seen that go wrong before. Um, 5th to the 7th of January is when those semi-finals are coming up, but the, the first quarter-final second leg is this Thursday evening, the 17th, but early in the morning, so essentially Friday morning, that's Nacional River Plate, and then next Wednesday is the Boca Racing game, and then I'm sure you can check on local listings for the semi-finals and final. Excellent. Jack, won't let you go before a quick word for Jordi Alba. Oh, yeah, yeah. He... <sighs> so... This was prompted by him smashing the ball into Adnan Yanazai's face from all of about 30 centimetres, um, which looked to me obviously deliberate and slightly horrible. But I, I, he's one of my least liked players in the world. Probably the most... Really? Least, the most, probably the least liked, to be honest. So the context here is that Barcelona obviously having a rotten start to the season and they came up against the Liga leaders, Real Sociedad, who were without David Silva for this game. Uh, Real Sociedad took the lead. Barcelona came back and showed a bit of metal. And in the course of the match, as you say, Jordi Alba absolutely pinged it off Yanisai's face from very close range. And then tellingly, as you say, um, he then wheels away and runs off without so much as a, oh, did did I catch you there or anything? Which for me, I think was that was the indication that he knew exactly what he was doing, and it was it was truly awful. Not least, you know, in the in the light of the various ongoing debates about concussion and head injuries, because he he really he really leathers it into his into his head. Yeah, I think he's I think he's a, a bit of a piece of work, Albert. To be honest, he's he's in that category of footballers. I think we should call them weasels because someone like uh, let's take Pepe, Pepe. You know, he's a bad guy, but he, he takes ownership of that. He's like, yeah, you know, this is this is part of my thing. Sergio Ramos, you could probably put in there as well. But then mm. there are the other Diego kind. Costa. Who, yeah, and I at least respect their their um, self ownership. Yeah, right. they just they really lean into that. Whereas you've got people like Alba, another one I I really like a really bubbling dislike of is Emre Chan. Like I, I don't think he's a really you know, he's not villainous, but he just just does a few nasty little things here and there, and never quite get pulled up on it. So this is my uh, in progress weasel eleven. Right, they're like the henchmen of Biff Tannen, aren't they? They're the guys, you know, they're just slightly behind him, like prodding and getting away with it, just snickering away in the background, like Richard Hammond when Clarkson's talking. <laughs> yeah. Oh right, that's a hamster. It's a different rodent. I know, but, no, but they're, they're, they're all in the same game. I see, I see. Have you been nurturing long, blood-held dislikes of, of kind of Weasley players, Lindsay? Not really, because I, I think as a Wolves fan, when you've had Kevin Muscat in your team, you can't really go pointing the finger, can you? The muskrat, there's, there's another kind of <laughs> <laughs> uh, Listener, if you've got Weasley players who you think have been have managed to get away with their, their nasty business over these years, do let us know. And we're going to add to Jack's Weasel 11 for next time. <laughs> weasel 11. Yeah. Uh, but uh, I, th- I think that's probably where we come to the end of today's Totally Football Show. We'll be recording Sunday night for an early Monday morning roundup of the weekend's action. So do join us for that for now. Many thanks to Jack and to Duncan and to Lindsay. Thank you very much. Thank you. Mm. And uh, to you too, listener and producer Charlie. And have a great weekend. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. 
keep up to date with everything totally at thetotallyfootballshow.com and follow us at The Totally Show on Twitter and Insta. Check out all of the Athletics Football podcasts on Apple, Spotify and all the usual places or listen ad-free on the Athletic app. The Totally Football Show is a Muddy Knees Media production and sponsored by Paddy Power. Hello, I'm Mark Chapman, the host of a special episode of Giant produced by The Athletic. It's the story of Chester City's American dream. A dream that turned into a nightmare. This is Terry Smith. He's coached teams to honours in England, Europe and the United States. One of football's most celebrated coaches. American football, that is. Now he wants to conquer another sport. I think I've probably got... Uh, you know, more years of coaching experience than just about anyone. Not in soccer. No, not in soccer. Search for Giant on Spotify to listen to the full episode. Muddy News Media.